This is Series 3 of Brave New Girl Podcast, and I'm Lou Hamilton, author and illustrator of Brave New Girl, How to Be Fearless, and I welcome you to the stories of real-life Brave New Girls who are creatives, founders, campaigners, health practitioners, and thought leaders who are making a positive impact in the world. This week's guest is Perrin Ryan, a Brooklyn-based artist who, after more than 15 years of working in the tech and fashion industries, decided to return to her true passion of art, which is inspired by her life as a wellness advocate, being a woman, and her connection to the natural and spiritual world. Welcome, Perrin, to Brave New Girl Podcast. Hi, Perrin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very excited to be talking to a fellow artist across the pond. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm looking forward to sharing more about myself um, and my work with your audience. Yeah, fantastic. Now, I wonder how the pandemic has been for you, because I think that creative people are pretty good at adapting. We're sort of quite good on our feet, aren't we? And having things come along and we change and and maybe that's a human thing. Maybe that's the kind of the creative gene in in all of us. But I do think artists and creatives are, are pretty good at adapting. So how has the pandemic been for you? And also, can you paint a picture of Brooklyn, how it's been in the last 18 months, your local community, the people around you? So for me as a whole, the pandemic and the lockdown, it was a bit bit of a struggle, as it was for most people, I'm sure. I definitely learned three things about myself after spending the last year and a half in lockdown. Um, And it's I thrive best when I have a daily routine. Um, I'm definitely at a stage in my life where I, I crave peace and quiet. I live in New York City, and it is not the most quiet city. (laughs) And then I decided wherever I live next, I'm definitely going to have some sort of private outdoor space with a balcony or a terrace because it is necessary. So it was fine. There was a lot happening here, especially last summer because of the George Floyd murder. So New York, Brooklyn, but I think New York City as a whole it was kind of it was in a state of chaos especially during the summer so there were lots of protests there were marches happening daily because of the murder um, and it just erupted into I, I think a global because there were protests happening everywhere across the world but a, a, gro- a global protest and call for better civil rights but New York City is just it's not a a quiet city by any means. (laughs) So there were fireworks happening every day, all day into the wee hours of the morning. It was just a weird time here because there was a lot happening, but at the same time, you would go outside and the streets would be empty. New York City, for the first time in my 13 years living in New York City, there was no one there. I've never seen Times Square empty like that. So it was just odd to see this city that never sleeps and is always buzzing about be so quiet. And it was it was kind of eerie, like a end of the world sort of Armageddon setting in a movie where you're just expecting like something, ha- something to erupt. But it was nice in a way to have that calmness kind of fall over the city, because I know for me especially, just being here for 13 years, it can really wear on you. So to have this quietness where while there's still things happening, there's not that everyday hustle and bustle happening. 
So it was just quiet, but not quiet, but also just strange. Just a strange time to be in New York City. There weren't tourists here. Museums were closed, as I'm sure it was the same in other places. Um, so there wasn't that access to a lot of cultural things to do. And New York City, is it's a cultural hub. There's people from all over the world, all nationalities that live here. You don't get to eat at those restaurants because many of them closed. Um, you don't get to shop at special stores and boutiques because a lot of them, unfortunately, have gone out of business at this point. Museums are closed. Um, so there wasn't much to do except just be home or be outside and try and, and be as as active outdoors as possible. In the 13 years that I've lived here, I've probably seen the parks the most full I've ever seen them because everyone was at the park. Lots of new hobbies formed. Uh, lots of people roller skating now and bike riding. And so it was nice to see people take on this leisurely aspect of living because in New York City, you don't really see people relax and be leisurely. So it was nice to go to the park and just see so many people just out and laying out and relaxing and being social. So yeah, that was kind of neat. How New York was. <laughs> I think that's very similar to, to London. And I do think, though, the, the sort of emotional side, I don't, I'm not sure that we've kind of really understood the full impact of how we've kind of coped, managed, you know, on the surface, we've mm-hmm. sort of kept going. And, you know, not only a lockdown, a, a global pandemic, but then with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. I mean, how did you feel that and how did you manage that in your own kind of emotional state and and state of mind? So unfortunately, what happened to George Floyd, it happens a lot in the United States, a lot. Um, and I think, especially in the U.S., we our media tends to focus on those sorts of stories. And so it, it, it can affect your mental health. So for me, it was something that I definitely had to compartmentalize. I've participated in marches in the past for other occurrences of police brutality against Black people in the United States. I did not do it last summer because, one, we were in a global pandemic, and it was important for me to keep my distance to maintain my, my actual physical health. But I supported it through art. Um, I created a really popular (laughs) illustration called Sisters that has kind of went viral. And I have a notebook now that is being sold with the artwork on the cover of it through Erin Condren. So positive things came out of it. And I think it's just because I use my art as a vehicle for just speaking about equality instead of, you know, kind of going on social media and just, you know recycling the same information that everyone else was posting. I decided to be more constructive and just use my art to communicate for me. So that was pretty much how I dealt with that. And just trying to minimize how much I was taking in because it, it's a, it was a lot. And that on top of the pandemic and just the energy of everyone else feeling so so um, passionate or angry or emotional about it, I didn't want that to affect me. So I was trying to stay calm and even, and I just used my art to communicate things. And how how does that work then, using your art and your creativity to channel feelings and emotions and things that you want to say? Is that an instinctive process or is it something that you 
think consciously about and intentionally and then let it kind of follow through from a plan? How does it actually work? I'd say it's definitely more intuitive. Some days I wake up and I'm just kind of like, oh, I feel kind of scattered. Not sure what I want to do today. I'm not sure what I should work on first. So it usually starts with a feeling like I'm feeling I don't know, discombobulated. And like, what does that look like? And then I'll sketch something out. um, And then it turns into an illustration or painting. Sometimes I might be focused on what is the mood that I want to feel. So when I created Sisters, for example, I was in a place where we were a few months into lockdown. I hadn't seen any of my friends. (laughs) So it's just being at home constantly. Um, I had my boyfriend was here, so I was with my partner, but I didn't see any of my friends. And I just felt like I missed my friends. I missed my family. And I made an artwork that just embodied how I felt. And like, I can't wait to see my friends again when I can see them and hug them and hang out and catch up. So it's, it's really intuitive. It's just how am I feeling at the moment or... How do I want to feel to get myself out of this funk if I'm in one? Um, And I just go from there. And have you found that your practice has increased and that your work, there's been more interest in your work during the pandemic, that you've sort of upped your game in terms of sort of trying to get stuff out there? I mean, lots of people with different kinds of businesses have either had to kind of go online or they've had to change their business in some way. With maybe creativity and art, you're kind of always experimenting in different medium anyway. So so how was that for you? I'm, I'm actually right now in the phase of like experimenting and trying out different mediums and seeing what I want to work with now. But during the course of last year and up until a couple of months ago, maybe March, I would say, I was strictly digital. Um, and it was mostly because so many projects had come to me, like project opportunities. So I really got into the headspace of just putting my head down and doing the work and working on the projects that I have to do that I needed to turn in and meeting deadlines and things like that. And now I'm starting to take a step back and really reassess, okay, what is the direction I now want to go in with my business? I want to focus on making more work for myself and more work that I can make available to regular people, not work that's just for a brand partnership or a commission for a brand or a company or um, anything like that. So I'm working on how do I want to communicate more with regular, quote unquote, (laughs) regular everyday people and how I can connect with them more, but also exploring new mediums. I started playing with oil pastels recently and I really, really like them. So um, I think doing work digitally has been fun and it's efficient and it's quick, but I'm ready to do more tactile work and play with my hands again. So I'm jumping back into that space now. So little Perrin, when did you first get your first set of crayons? You know, I, I think that most children are creative and curious and playful and you know they have exposure to to painting and drawing and you know playing with materials and so I do think that children generally are and then it kind of gets timetabled out of them through secondary school but for you how how was that were you 
consciously artistic? Did you love painting and drawing and scribbling? And and how did that sort of develop through your childhood and teens? Um, I was definitely consciously creative and artistic. And my mom saw it. She saw it at an early age. So um, I think because she saw it, she was intentional about encouraging it. So I got my first like creative toy um, when I was five. I got an Etch-a-Sketch. I don't know if you remember those, but I, I, I got one. For, yeah. I got one for Christmas. And then the next year, I she bought me a the Crayola fashion design set, stencil set. I actually Googled both of those toys the other day and I'm considering buying them off eBay just for nostalgia's sake. But those are the first two toys that I got where it was just kind of like, oh, I can draw and I can create and I can design my own clothes. When I got the Crayola fashion design stencil set, uh, set, that was when I realized I could be a fashion designer and like it was a career. So my mom bought me magazine subscriptions to Harper's Bazaar. I was like seven with a Harper's Bazaar magazine subscription. Um, So I was obsessed with fashion. So I would just draw my own designs. And uh, my mom put me in sewing classes when I was younger. Um, I remember being the only child in like sewing lessons with senior citizens. And I was like eight years old. Um, And it was just fun for me. So, you know, I, I would make my own little skirts and really simple pattern things like A-line pattern skirts and things like that. And it pretty much continued up through high school. I took um, weekend art classes at the Corcoran Art Gallery. Um, I joined the fine arts program in high school. So it was very supported by my parents and, you know, really just if, if you like it, do it. But I also think that they viewed it as a hobby and not realizing that, to me, I was thinking it was going to be a career. Like, I'd always wanted to be a fashion designer. I found my yearbook from, I think, when I graduated from eighth grade. And there was a section where they asked all the eighth graders, what do you want to be when you grow up? And everyone said, like, doctor or lawyer. And mine's a fashion designer. I just, I just knew. But then, as high school started to draw to a close, that was when the conversation with my parents started to happen about, well, what are you going to do? And so in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to apply to art schools and, you know, pursue this career of being a fashion designer. But like most parents, I, I think that they were concerned about like my future and will she be able to support herself? So that was the first time that the idea of having a creative career started to be drilled out of me. And, you know, this idea of like focus on something more realistic and something more stable started to be drilled in. I did end up going to an art college anyway. It's it's in Philadelphia. It's called the, well, it was formerly called Philadelphia College of Textiles and Sciences. It's now Philadelphia University. But I did go there and I initially was majoring in graphic design, but I think just I latched on to the fear that my parents had for me. And so I switched my major to um, to computer information systems, something completely opposite of creative, very analytical, nothing fun about it. Um, and I did that and I stuck with it because I was so attached to this idea that like, I have to do something that is only going to make me money. Not that's going to make me happy, but only is going to make me money. 
I'm really interested in this this idea that we have a kind of either or mentality right. and, and and that that's kind of what's offered us that it's kind of drummed into us that you know if you're creative you're not going to earn money mm-hmm. and so you better go do something completely opposite exactly and and you know almost as far away from your creativity as you possibly can lest you get tempted to be drawn back in mm-hmm. you know so then what you're doing you're you're suppressing those feelings aren't you and and exactly you know how long while they are they simmering below before they start to kind of bubble up and and try and claw you back so what did happen Um, So what ended up happening was I graduated. I ended up getting a job in the tech space for a small tech company that created um, loan software for banking institutions. So, you know, when people apply for um, loans for their house or their car, and we basically were responsible for maintaining this software. It was the most boring job I had ever had in my life. Like, it was, I was, I was officially in the rat race of getting up early every day, driving, commuting an hour to a job that I did not like, and then sitting there for eight hours with people who were not my people. Um, like, I wasn't into video games and Everyone who worked there was much older. I was, I think I was actually the youngest person in the office and everyone wore beige and white. It's just, (laughs) there was no color and I just, I I couldn't take it. And then um, I'd actually gotten in trouble at that job too, because maybe I want to say eight or nine months in, I started a fashion blog and I was blogging at work. And I don't know why it didn't occur to me that you work for a tech company and they will see that you're doing this. <laughs> and my my boss, she um, she called me in and she had printouts of the pages. And she's like, is this what you're doing at work? And I was like, oh my gosh. And we had a whole conversation, but even she recognized it. And she was just like, you know, you're not supposed to be here Um, you're clearly very much into this and maybe this is something you should pursue. But I was afraid. Um, And then finally, after two years of being there, I'd started, I made the decision to go back to school for fashion design. So I applied to Parsons, the new school. They have a two-year program for fashion design. I was like, okay, I already have my four-year bachelor's degree. I don't need to go to school for another four years. So I applied to that program and I ended up getting into it. How did you overcome that fear then? Because you've got the security of a boring job, but but it is secure. <laughs> it is secure. And, and, you know, you've got that kind of mindset of, well, this is what you do for a living and maybe you can do the fun stuff on mm-hmm. the side. But then you have somebody saying to you in the business, someone saying to you, you're not meant to be here. You should be somewhere else. Yeah. But you're still feeling fear. So how did you overcome that to then get yourself to to art school? I think it just got to a point where I couldn't take it anymore. Like I just, I, I was tired of living for the weekends. Like I just felt like I was wishing my entire life away just to get to Fridays. And I was tired of it. And so I just was like, I, you know, screw this. Like, I'm not, I just can't do it anymore. So the the only option is for me to explore this because I can't do this anymore. So yeah, so I got into Parsons. 
I remember I when I put my notice into my job, my boss was very happy for me. <laughs> and then I packed up my whole car and I drove to work on my last day. And so everyone's like, oh, when are you moving to New York? And I'm like, today. <laughs> and they're like, today. I'm like, yeah, my car's packed up. As soon as I leave for work, I'm driving straight to New York and I'm not coming back. Um, so yeah, I came to New York. Fortunately for me, um, my parents are from New York. So I had lots of family here. My grandmother, aunts, cousins, uncles. So I wasn't starting from a place of like having to find somewhere to live. And this is, New York is like second home for me. I kind of grew up here as a kid. Um, so yeah, so I did Parsons. I finished. I made the most of my experience at Parsons in the in a way that I didn't make the most of my experience in undergrad. So in undergrad, I didn't really take advantage of doing internships in the tech industry and like getting my getting my foot in the door that way. I, I just graduated and then was like, okay, I've got to find a job in tech. But with Parsons, I was very intentional about I need to make the most of this experience because I this is my dream and I want to I want it to be everything that I expected it to be. So I was getting internships everywhere. I internshiped at, I interned at Marc Jacobs and Jody Arnold and a bunch of design companies. Um, so by the time I finished, it was fairly easy for me to have to find a job because I already had um, experience from internships. So I spent 10 years working in the fashion industry. So from the end of 2009 to the beginning of 2019, so a solid 10 years. And I just came to realize that it also was not what I expected. That's interesting, isn't it? Because it was kind of the thing that you had been dreaming of as a child. But then exactly. when you were actually doing it, something else was pulling you. And maybe something was kind of pulling you to go deeper into what art and creativity meant for you. Quite often we find that people get kind of caught up short and something pulls them to a sort of standstill or something bad happens or something kind of just shifts mm -hmm. and that kind of catapults you into a different direction. So was, was it something major? Was it something, was it a kind of series of things or was it a slow feeling? What, what was that that made the shift? I think the biggest change that I experienced in my life at that time was um, my dad had cancer and he'd had it for eight years. So like going through that experience with him in the beginning, it was fine because there was this expectation that, oh, he'll be fine and, you know, life can go back to normal. But then as we got closer to realizing that things will not be fine and they're not going back to normal, it made me reassess my own life. So my dad did end up passing away um, in 2013, um, at the end of July in 2013. But those months up to it, up to that uh, moment made me realize that I don't have time to waste. So I had started taking short leaves of absence from my job so that I could go home to spend time with my dad. And it was during those moments that I realized that like working my whole life doesn't matter. And it's important for me to have experiences um, instead of just being caught up in the daily grind of go to work and come home and make dinner and maybe watch TV for an hour or two just so I can get up and do it all over again tomorrow. 
And my dad was young. He was 57 when he passed away. So for me, it was just like, you know, that's not that far for me. That's how old I am. Exactly. It's it's young. And I need to make the most of the time that I have because I don't know how much time that I have. So after he passed away, that was when I got more intentional about like wellness and how I how I was living my life from day to day. And I realized that I wasn't doing things for fun and relaxation and rest. So I started prioritizing those things. I started working on my relationship with myself and just trying to be kinder to myself. Um, I prioritized right relationships with people in my life and tr- making more room for family and friends. And that, w- that was really the big shift for me. I started traveling at that point because up until... T- 2013, I hadn't made travel a priority. It was kind of one of those things that was like, oh, I'd love to go to that place. I'll go one day. But my life like revolved around travel after that. So um, it was just those kind of enriching moments that I was just like, I need to make room for more of this. Like work will always be there. There will always be work to do. I can always find a job. Fortunately for me and just how my career has gone in the fashion industry, I've always been able to find a job. Like even when I freelanced, it was very easy for me. So I just sort of was like, I'm just going to live my life. And like, (laughs) if it gets to a point where I like need money that bad, I'll just go back and freelance and it'll be fine because it's been fine. Um, So yeah, that was the major point that just kind of, like turned everything around for me. And I remember someone saying we should hold our lives like we would hold a butterfly Mm -hmm. very lightly. And it sounds like you started to kind of loosen your grip Mm -hmm. on this constant sort of daily grind and start to allow in wellness and maybe spirituality Mm -hmm. and a just kind of easing of of life and that life doesn't have to be hard work Mm -hmm. and and nose to the sort of the grindstone. So how did that feel and how did it manifest? It felt good because I, I didn't feel like I had this pressure to, to show up in any way that was not myself. So it was, it was nice and it was relaxing. I formed new relationships with people. I met new people. And then like life does, it purged people <laughs> who were not in alignment with that. Um, and it just, it felt good, honestly. And I'm I'm not to say that, like, I've mastered it because I'm still on this journey. Like, every day I'm still finding ways to be kinder to myself or to relax a little bit more and do things with more ease. Um, and not always trying to force things. So it's a constant reminder of like, okay, just take things day by day. Stop looking ahead so far into the future because it it just creates overwhelm and worry and just try to be present in where you are right now. So, yeah. (laughs) And how did your art change in that process? Did you let go of it for a while or... Or did you just feel that it was coming in in different ways? I actually, I let go of it for a long time. Pretty much from after my first year of college. So I'd say like 19 up until like two, 
two years ago, really. So a good 15 years, I didn't really do anything. I mean, outside of whatever sort of creative work I had to do for my job in fashion, because I, I was drawing, I was a technical designer, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I, I didn't do anything um, for a number of years. And then what ended up happening was um, in 2019, I quit my job. I just, I had gotten to a point where I was just tired of it. Um, there was a lot of, a lot of things happening within the company that I didn't like um, and how they treated employees. And I just, for myself, decided I'm no longer participating in this. So I bought a plane ticket to Lisbon. I quit my job. I went on vacation for a week. I came back and I said, okay, so what now? <laughs> because I, I, I intended not to immediately try and find something else. I just needed to give myself some breathing room. So I didn't work for a few months. And then um, towards the end of that summer, I got a job. I was freelancing in fashion. And I was at work one day and... Um, this idea came into my head. It was a funny little uh, fruit cartoon. And I was sitting at my desk and I just started laughing hysterically, like to myself. But people were looking at me like, what is she laughing at? So I drew it and I said, oh my gosh, this is so funny. And I went home that after I got off work that day, I went to the art supply store. I bought some watercolor paint and some brushes and I went home and I did all these fun little um, fruit and vegetable cartoons that had these funny little like sayings. And that was the first time that I was like, oh my gosh, this is fun and funny. And I haven't painted or drawn anything in a decade and a half. Like, this is great. Um, and so I just started doing that for fun whenever I had any spare time at home. That's what I was doing. And then I would share them on Instagram and just for like friends and they thought it was funny. And then they started to respond and say like, I look, cause I was doing, I would get up in the morning, early in the morning, I would paint one, post it to Instagram. And then um, friends and family started saying how they look forward to seeing them every day because it just added a little bit of joy. They were funny and cute. And so I, it made me feel good to know that I was adding to someone else's joy in their day, whatever stresses they're going through. So I kept doing it. I taught a watercolor class, which was fun. It was my first class. And then the pandemic happened. <laughs> so it was back indoors. Um, and then at that point, because everything was closed, art stores were closed, everything was closed. That was when I moved to digital because I couldn't get the supplies that I needed. So I just bought an iPad and I started drawing on there. And then that's kind of when everything just, it erupted. So it was just the combination of space and time and being in the right place mentally and emotionally to just be free and not be afraid to um, be myself through my artwork. And people really connected with it. So yeah, that's pretty much how I got back to where I am now. And so you've really created your life, haven't you? In a way, you've recreated it, but you've sort of let go of everything that you knew and then just kind of made a space for the good things to happen, you know, including, you know, feeling well and, you know, both mentally and physically and spiritually. And and then that allows your creativity to start flowing. And, mm -hmm. and then you're kind of playing and experimenting and and having fun and trying things and 
And I wonder whether, kind of going back to the idea of the, the pandemic, sort of for many people, it, it kind of reopened creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, people had left that part of themselves behind maybe decades and then kind of refound in those little pockets of time. And the sense that, you know, gosh, you know, a whole world can be stopped in its tracks by a virus. So what really matters, what really counts? And like you said, you know, that sort of sense of that after after your father passed. And um, so in the, the time that's sort of come out of the pandemic and as we're sort of go, moving forward, how do you see artwork playing a part in your in your life and and what do you want from it what does it give to you and and what do you want it to do for other people so I view life in cycles and stages and I feel like so far I've I've cycled through a lot of different life experiences and careers and um and experiences that a lot of people probably wouldn't have moving to different states, trying different careers and things like that. So I've learned over the years not to plan out my life too far in the future, not beyond the next year. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I try to stay within that, especially after last year, because no one expected what happened last year. Yeah. But I do know that at this point, I fully intend to continue in this this new career as a as a of making art and as a full time artist. I've been blessed with a lot of great projects and collaborations and opportunities, and so my goal at this point is to continue to build onto those and add to what I've already experienced in this new space, and finding new ways to connect with the people who connect with my work. I don't, I'm not sure about London. I've been to London a few times, but only for like short vacations. So I'm not sure about how you guys view consumerism there, but in the States, everything is driven by consumerism. I don't want to build a business that's solely focused on just trying to sell people and get them to, I really want to connect with people through my art. I have ideas for new projects. I just started something two weeks ago called Drawing Conclusions, where I ask my like people on my newsletter and Instagram followers to send me their stories about wellness or their favorite um, positive affirmation, their favorite color. And I create artwork around whatever they submitted because I just want to um, create... I don't, I don't want to say create community because I feel like that's so influencer-like. I just want it to be very intuitive and, and authentic. And I share my art with, with them. I don't want to have a one-way conversation. I want it to be, you share whatever it is you feel is um, inspiring for you. And we can connect over this love of art and wellness. Um, so that's right now my main focus in, in my business is just really trying to have a stronger connection with the people who connect with my work. I send out a monthly newsletter and I always, in every newsletter, I always encourage the subscribers to email me with any feedback or comments. And so many people email me back, surprisingly. Like I'm not, I'm actually shocked every time I get an email and it's little notes like, I really look forward to these. I love getting this every month or that link you shared was great. So Having that kind of connection with people who connect with my work is what's important to me right now, especially after 
coming out of a year where so many people spent their time in isolation and not connecting with people. So I really just want to um, like foster that. So that's where I am right now. And for the next year, um, I don't know what'll happen five or 10 years from now. I have ideas of what I would like to happen, but I had no idea that this would happen. So I'm just gonna leave myself open to anything could happen. And financially, do you allow your art to do its thing and then earn money on the side? Or do you look to your art to pay the bills? So right now, primarily my art pays the bills. I do have a job that I do on the weekends. It was So before the pandemic happened, I ended up well, the end of 2019, I did end up getting a, a job and it was back in tech, but it was remote and it was with a wellness company. So I was like, okay, things are kind of in alignment. I get to work from home, which means I still have time to work on the things that I like to do, which is painting and drawing every day. It's wellness adjacent. So I'm still, I still have that connection. So it just really worked out and was in alignment there. And I had that job all through 2020. And then at the end of 2020, um, I had gotten to a point where I couldn't keep up with the job and then all of the projects that were coming through. So I made the decision to just let the job go. My boss, on the other hand, was just kind of like, no, <laughs> stay. So she asked me to um, to just stay on uh, for a few hours a week. So I said, okay, sure. As a supplement for me, because I was just kind of like, why not? It's extra money. Um, it can help fill in the gaps whenever I'm having a slower month. So that's where I am now. I think eventually that will probably come to an end because um, I just want to give more time back to myself. I definitely feel like right now I'm working a lot more than I would like to. So at some point, I'm, I'm likely going to scale back on that just so I have more time to play and rest. <laughs> that's super important. I think it takes a lot of courage to grab your passion with both hands and and say, right, this is how I want my life to be and this is what I want it to look like and what I want it to feel like and letting go of things that don't work for you. How do you define courage? Um, I'd have to say, for me, the mantra has been do more of the things that make you feel good. And that's been my guiding principle for the last few years. And sometimes that's scary and it requires you to walk away from what society or family and friends are telling you is the right thing or how you're supposed to live and deciding for yourself. And I think there's tremendous courage and in living for yourself and being unapologetic about it. So yeah, that's, to me, that's courage. And that's what I try to embody every day. And I ask myself, I actually check in with myself, how does this make you feel? Or sometimes I'll find myself doing something and I'm like, I hate this. Why am I doing it? And I just decide I'm not doing it anymore. Um, and I think it just, it takes real courage to just not be afraid to let go of things and 
and and not uh, subscribe to labels that um, that whomever has created to to box people in. Just do whatever you want to do and be happy. That's it. I love that. It's taken me a very, <laughs> very long time to get to that point, but but I I am doing that in my life too, and and it feels amazing. It feels like a, you know, you really grasping yeah. your life with both hands, and you know, with this with this precious time that we have, using it to make the best out of what we can give to others and what we can give to ourselves. Thank you so much, Perrin, for taking us into your world of art and illuminating for us what it is like to live full of self-expression and passion. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is great. And yeah, this is fun. I'm, I wish I would have had my camera Thank on. Thank you. <laughs> but this is fun. Because uh. <laughs> I was, I was, I've uh. been smiling the entire time and I'm uh. just like, oh, <laughs> Oh, it's too bad. I didn't, I wasn't thinking, but yeah, this was great. This is so great. I imagined you smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Take care and uh, keep in touch. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Perrin, for showing us how we can return to our true calling and make a life for ourselves that reflects what is deeply meaningful for us. You can find out more about Perrin on www.perrinryan.com and follow her on Instagram at Perrin Ryan. Thanks to Silk Studios for producing and sourcing the guests for the show. And thanks to you all for listening. Take care, choose courage, and see you next week.